Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing the fourth Sunday and week of Advent, so let's get started. Hey, Lindsay, again, always a pleasure to be able to reflect with you a little bit. You say that every time, people are going to stop believing it soon. (laughs) No, actually, I do most of the talking anyway, so it's true. It's like we're reflecting a lot. But so I'm the one that should say, oh, it's a pleasure to let you reflect for me. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Anyway, so yes, we are doing the fourth, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent. And what I wanted to, to do as we work with this a little bit is, is to jump back a little bit because we, we've really covered a lot of ground when you think about it. Uh, we talked about a number of different topics uh, about what Advent is and what it's not, um, the ways that it can make a difference or not, uh, what it leads us to, because it's always got a focus of, of being looking at Christmas time. That's always the, fo- the focus, excuse me. And it allows us... I thought the focus was the second coming. Yes, it is. That's in the big picture. Ah. The short range is to be able to anticipate celebrating the the first coming because then as we begin to appreciate that and, and what that brings to our lives and can bring to our lives, then it opens in, in a way, it opens a whole other door of, of what the second coming you know is. And, and what it can be for us. Uh, the, you know, it's interesting how the, the first coming, when you're talking about Christmas, the first coming really is, it, it sets the stage. It, hopefully, it allows us to, you know, to be able to take the steps necessary, one, to even prepare ourselves for that final coming, to be able to recognize what it means to prepare ourselves for that final coming. And that's where I wanted to go back a little bit because we were talking when we started with the first Sunday of Advent. We started a little bit with, it was more about being anticipating something rather than being penitential. There are penitential elements to it, but it's it's the greater the greater focus to it is anticipating that second coming of, of, of the Lord and that somehow that second coming is going to bring everything together. Finally, it will all make sense. Finally, we will, you know, we will in, in a ways come to know the mind of God. But that's funny because why do we assume that? Because everyone thought Jesus's coming would be different than what it was. So why do we assume the second come like in a manger born not okay. not a warrior but a you know making peace with everyone? So why do we assume the second coming will be everyone knows everything we'll all understand? Well, because we're anticipating that once the second coming takes place, if we look at the scriptures, and and as I as I've said before, no matter how hard or how we try to describe something, it will always be inadequate. Mm. Is that somehow there has been the belief from from the very beginning, you know, literally going back to the Garden of Eden, there is the belief that once we lost being in the presence of God, as we believe or as we use the the um, the Genesis stories. To help describe 
what it must have been like as the best we can, what it was like to be in the presence of God in the garden. Again, as inadequate as those descriptions are, that somehow it has been from the very beginning that it will we will once again come to know that. That's been the promise. Mm. That was the promise that that we were not tossed out of the garden forever. So like the pre-eating the apple, that's what yes. we'll go to. That's that's sort of is the hope. Now, again, as we have That's in, our human hope. Yes. And whatever that means to us. You know, some some will say, well, that means going back to the idyllic place of the Garden of Eden, and we will once again know perfection as was described in the Garden of Eden. Some will say it is the ability to celebrate Mass every moment of our lives for all eternity. Others will say it is as, you know, uh, Bishop Robert Barron, when we have heard him in his, uh, in his video on the Mass, you know, talking about it will be the great celebration of the Eucharist, you might say, with the, all of the angels and such. No matter how hard we try to describe it, it will always be <laughs> inadequate. But I think what we can say is that somehow we will have come finally full circle and all that God has meant, all that God has hoped for for us, all that God has tried to do throughout what we would describe as the Old Testament and New Testament, for all that Jesus had accomplished, both in his life, suffering, death, and resurrection, and the salvation that he won for us, that somehow all of that will come to completion. Whatever it looks like, who knows? That's high hopes. Yeah, it, it is. But it's also, in a sense, what has been discerned over literally thousands of years that God's hope for us is that we come to know all that is holy and that we are completely and totally fulfilled. Now, the only one who can do that is ultimately God. There is nothing humanly possible we can do to somehow... To, to experience that kind of fullness and completeness other than God and God alone. Hence Advent. Hence Advent and the recogni recognition that we need all of this because if we didn't, if we were complete in and of ourselves, we wouldn't need God and we wouldn't have needed Jesus you know, to do anything for us. But because we are frail human beings, because we are incomplete, we need all of, in a sense, all of this. Hence, again, Advent, a time of preparing ourselves so that we, we know when it's coming or that we, I should say, we can prepare ourselves so that when it comes, we don't miss it. <clears throat> that, that we will be ready. And as our Gospels have said at different times, you know, when you experience all of these things, stand erect, raise your head, for your redemption is at hand. Not grovel, not fall to your knees, you know, not, not cry out in the dirt. <laughs> stand up, raise your head, your redemption is at hand. Give thanks to God. And, and if we take the, the scriptures and what they have to teach us, then in many ways this is all going to happen probably in a surpri rather surprising ways and ways that, that we may not have anticipated. Just as the first coming caught people off guard 
and even the whole life of Jesus caught people off guard because they were certainly not looking for that Messiah that, as you had mentioned before, was teaching peace, was teaching, you know, that love God above all else, neighbor herself, mm -hmm. that said if you got two cloaks, give one away, rather than, you know, run a sword through their guts and make sure they never get up because then you'll be the winner. Um, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to prepare so that when things begin to happen, however they begin to happen, we're going to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it. It says an awful lot about that. So now there's a word for each weekend usually, right? Like last week, the third Sunday was rejoice, joy, gaudete. Yes, a sense of joy. I know one of them's hope. Yes, there was a sense of hope. There was a sense of, of anticipation. There was a sense about, you know, and I, I talked a bit about the promise mm -hmm. that when you look at you look at Advent and take the whole picture is that you can pick it apart like, you know, a stained glass window again, and you can see greens and reds and blues. But when you put it all together, you see the beauty of what it all has. Mm -hmm. And so Advent, in a way, you can take each of the pieces, you might say, uh, joy, hope, anticipation, um, you know, acting on, 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 on God acting on our behalf, you know, doing all that he can you know, for our benefit. And I would say when it comes then to the, um, to the fourth Sunday, you begin almost to have a softer side of things coming through. The first three really, you know, really there's an intensity there in the mm -hmm. first three of, of, of whether it's the warnings, whether it's you know, telling people, get set, you know, ready yourselves and all of that. And yet in the, in the, in the fourth Sunday of Advent, I would say in some ways things become a little bit more mysterious. There's, a, there's I would say, a softer side to it. There's a, there's a change in tone. The, the psalm, in a way, starts some of that... <clears throat> And it says, we call upon you, God, to notice us. Save us. It's, it's in a way, it's, it's that, it's, it's a humble, it's a humble, you know, stance. It's a softer stance. It's not something, in a sense, being shouted at us as much as a hope that we are expressing to God. We call upon you, God, simply notice us. You know, save us. Protect and take care of what you've created because we can't do it on our own. Um, and in a way we are saying, give us another chance. The psalm expresses so much of that. Give us another chance. We've messed up and we know we've messed up and we have messed up big time. And the prophets make no bones about that in, in how they challenge that, uh, that, you know, whether it's in Zephaniah, whether it's in Micah, whether it's in, you know, the couple of the different prophets that we have, certainly Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Baruch. These, these prophets really could speak very harshly and they do. And, and for good reason. You know, when you think about the people of Israel, they, they really did. They really screwed it up. You know, 
in, in, if, if there was any possible sin or mistake they could have made, they did it. And in so many ways, intentionally so. Th this is a different start. And it, 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 it's a softer start, again, that goes back to, we call upon you, God, don't overlook us. We, we messed up. Save us. Notice us. Protect and take care of, of what you created. Uh, and not in the way of somehow saying it's your fault, you know, we're all here in the first place, as much as you have blessed us in ways that we can't, you know, sometimes even describe. And we simply need you in order to keep on moving. So it's kind of like the first three have been all about preparing, stand up, get ready. And then the last one, it sounds, even though we said Advent isn't penitential, it sounds a little more penitential, a little yes. more humbling. A little more really getting ready now. Final yes. steps to getting ready. You know, being able to ask God, you might say to repeat in a way what that first psalm said. You know, show us your paths. Help us to walk the way that you show us. And and that fourth Sunday, as, as we look at it, has a much greater stance like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, uh, it's not of arrogance or pride or anything as much as the humility of saying, we, we need you, God. Mm -hmm. We need you, God. We, we need you in order to survive. We need you in order to weather the, the painful moments that we experience. And, and it doesn't take much these days, you know, I might say, for people to recognize that there are these painful experiences that, that we have to weather. And it's, it's trying to ask God to, to do that. How, and how does, how does the gospel, the, the, how do the writers of the, of the sacred scriptures um, ask us to do this? Um, uh, first of all, it's that sense, you know, of the psalm, you know, uh, take care of us, Lord. Hebrews speaks of the fact that you don't desire, God, all sorts of fancy sacrifices and rituals and jumping up and down and all sorts of things like that. Um, what, what you ask of us is to live well. What you ask of us is to live with a sense of humility. What you ask of us is that to, to get beyond, you know, sacrifices and, and holocausts and all of those things, but that we might live our life as genuinely as possible. And how that is, you might say, shown when it comes to particularly uh, the, the gospel, it is shown in that, that beautiful encounter between, you know, Elizabeth and Mary. Is right, because the fourth Sunday we get that story again, even though... That is correct. We heard the beginning of that story just a couple weeks ago. That is correct. Okay. We, we find that story. There's really, in so many ways, when you look at the story between Mary and Elizabeth, there aren't a lot of words. There's no ritual action. It's simply... Two women who are bearing children encountering one another and recognizing in that encounter that the presence of God is there. And it, it, it's, it's told in the story. And, you know, it's, it's some ways, there's that simple question, you know, how is it that, that somehow uh, that, that what has been spoken to me by the Lord, how could it possibly be fulfilled? I am a simple handmaid. I am of no one of importance. I don't wear fancy robes. 
I don't live in a, in a palace. I don't live, you know, in, in fancy places and stuff like that. Um, I'm a simple person and who wants just to be decent and to take care of people and, and to be able to encounter somebody that I love and to know that in the midst of that, that is how we come to know how God says to us, I will take care of you. And, and so it's in the midst of those very simple moments. And, and again, we, we at times, we, we want to paint this picture because I think that is so ingrained in us that if you have any importance, you have to do these grandiose things. If you have any importance, you have to have a title. If you have any importance, you have to wear a crown or a tiara or whatever like that. And what the scriptures keep telling us time and time again God skipped over all of those things. God ignored all of the powerful people. God ignored all of those people with titles and labels and such. And what he did is that God entered our world through the simplicity of the birth of a child. God entered our world through the simplicity of simple handmaids who were just trying to take care of their family, who are trying to do the best that they can. God entered our world by revealing the divine presence to some of those people, shepherds, who were perceived to be some of the lowest lowlife on the face of the earth that were oftentimes not allowed in the temple, uh, that were not allowed to be at, at certain celebrations and such because of the perception or of the presumption that they were these horrible, terrible, sinful people. And yet, it's to these very people that somehow the hand of God, the voice of God, reveals all that's taking place. And not only is it revealed to them, they actually believe it. <laughs> you know, is that, you know, when you look at some of the chief priests and, and, and people that of, of, of nobility and such, is that some things were revealed, but they refused to believe it. You know, it's, it's one of those things when, when Herod, you know, the Magi, we're jumping ahead a little bit, mm -hmm. but when the Magi approach, you know, Herod and saying, you know, oh, king, we've, we've heard that this is happening. And Karen, Herod goes, I don't know. And so he calls you know, the, the leadership, mm -hmm. and says, what is this? And they say, well, this is what we know. I don't know, you know, so I suppose it could be. They missed it. They let slip by them the, the divine revelation of the God they said they believed in and worshipped. They let slip by them the possibility or the potential that they could have gone and had the divine one reveal the divine presence to themselves, to them, and they missed it. And the very ones that oftentimes were accused of being dumber than anyone, of being more evil than anyone, of being so out there that not even God could love them, they were the very people not only that heard it, but they believed it. They embraced it. And it says their lives were changed because of it. Again, we see the mysterious ways of God because by, 
by any stretch of the imagination is that we should have, and, and well, I should say we not only should have, what we expected of God was to act like royalty, was to act like a real God should. And, and the embarrassment that we felt in so many ways when compared to other religious traditions or whatever they were at that time, that gods were to be revered, gods were to be feared, gods were to be paid off, gods were always dressed in, in marvelous splendor and jewels and, and lived in all sorts of places, you know, in the heavens or whatever. And, and what does our God do but somehow find himself, you know, uh, as the stories go in a manger, you know, sleeping basically on top of food for, for cattle and for animals. <laughs> Not exactly the picture of God you would imagine. That anyone, uh, any of us in a sense, would imagine. And I would dare say that a lot of us still have trouble with imagining. And so we bow, we tend to bow, scrape, and grovel because that's what we think God wants rather than simply acting like decent human beings. <laughs> and, and the respect that we should show is if we're going to show that respect to God, that same respect should be shown to each other. Because well, aren't you supposed to be Christ for each other and in each other? And yes, you are. And yet how hard it is for us to imagine that. How hard, it, that's for clergy. That's for religious men and women. <clears throat> that's not for me. I, you know, Father, Father, you know, and I've heard how many times have I heard this. Well, you know, Father, my faith is more private. Then I would say, then, then do you have faith? Is that somehow we are to be that, yes, that Christ for each other. As, as the saying goes, you know, if, if Christ has no hands but mine, Christ has no feet but mine, Christ has no mouth but mine, Christ has no heart but mine, I should be that Christ to my brothers and sisters and to work at doing that more and more and more every single day. Well, isn't that where the idea comes from, too, that Christ is the head and we're the body? The body. We, we actually do the moving and the helping and yes. the, yeah, yes. he just leads us. And that's the mysterious part because that's exactly in so many ways what Jesus showed us by coming as a child, by growing up and, and, and some of the, the Christmas events that we, we celebrate, whether it's Holy Family, you know, Epiphany, uh, the baptism of the Lord, take some of those key moments and ways that it says, you know, when you think about the, the holy family finding in the temple, that type of thing. That in these key moments, you have uh, Jesus in some ways coming to discover who he is, growing into that, and I believe that he grew into that. You have his parents coming into, you know, coming into their own way, growing into insight of who this son of theirs is. You have, I think... In some ways, you know, and I, I, I kind of imagine here again, Jesus as he is learning, you know, he says, as it's reported, you know, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Is that, not that his parents didn't understand, I don't think he understood. He, you know, in some ways that Jesus needed to grow in an understanding 
that you don't walk away from your mom and your dad and your family <laughs> without telling them. You, that he needed to understand. So when they talk about, you know, who needed to grow in understanding, it's also so many oftentimes it is saying, well, well, you know, Joseph and Mary needed to understand that he was the Savior. And, and I look at that at times and saying, uh, I think Jesus is the one that needed to grow in an understanding of how much he needed his mom and dad. And that is, to me, is shown by some of the things that he teaches later on. You have to wonder sometimes how some of that teaching that he spoke about, when he spoke about family, when he spoke about, you know, he healed a son, you know, on, on the way the widow had named, you know, when he did a number of these things, that it was rooted in an understanding that he needed to gain in, in what it meant to need family, what it meant to need one another. And in so many ways, it is, in a way, Advent, which prepares us for that also, that we need to look at some of that mysterious way that God acts and, and recognize that if we are to understand and appreciate more and more and more what Christmas, the whole Christmas experience is, then, then we need to delve more deeply into growing in an understanding. I asked this of, of literally of the folks at Mass this morning. I said, what does the fact that the Christmas event took place mean to you? Not what do we celebrate. We know what we celebrate. What does it mean to you? How does it have an effect on your life? And one of the things that I said in that homily was, it's these great, great moments, excuse me, these great moments that take place in our lives that change us forever, whether in society or spiritually, is that you look at people talk about uh, D-Day. People talk about uh, Pearl Harbor Day. People talk about, you know, the... 9-11, uh, and they talk in the framework of these things changed our lives forever. Even though we don't know it, the fact is, is that being old enough to know what 9-11, what it was like before 9-11, mm -hmm. I was obviously was not here during Pearl Harbor Day or whatever, but you talk to my parents about that or grandparents about that, is that people will say, you know, it was like this, but now since 9-11, it's like this. Well, it's going to be the same with COVID, before Absolute. COVID and after COVID. Absolutely. And we think about those because those are more recent history and such, but simply because we didn't live before the birth of Jesus, is that it still affects us. And it's by reflecting on what people have experienced, how it has changed people's lives, how uh, things were taught differently, you might say, since that, that somehow we should have an ability or hopefully grow in our ability. And I think this is where at times we lose, or let's just say we don't nearly spend enough time being reflective people that we miss opportunities of saying, wow, this really has made a difference. 
The fact that I believe that the divine God that I pray to didn't somehow, you know, pull us out of the human realm and, and then kind of do his magic and then throw us back in, but rather jumped into with both feet our human realm somehow should make a difference to me. That somehow I should be reflecting on that and saying, how do I live differently knowing that this Son of God, this Savior that I profess faith in, in many ways was just like me. Walked and talked and breathed and grew and cried and laughed and partied and prayed. In so many ways, he was just like me. And then what that invites me to be about, which Advent provides that time, what invites me to be about, that as I continue to live my life, that somehow I do so in light of the reality that I believe Christmas celebrates. Mm. Advent provides that time to prepare. I look at this um, years ago. This goes back a long time ago. <laughs> Remember a young man who um, went to work, and <clears throat> I may have shared this story a while back, but he goes to work not feeling well, um, and so finally he decides to see his doctor. Doctor literally from his office calls ambulance. They rush him to the hospital. He's in surgery within a matter of hours, mm. and they do several bypasses on him. He was literally on the edge of having a major, major heart attack. And it would probably would have killed him. Only in his 40s. Yikes. Three, several small children. Fast forward months, months later, and he's back at church. And my question to him is, how was this changed? And he said, you, you were pretty much at death's door. You hadn't kind of listened to what your body was saying. If they hadn't done surgery, you would most likely not be here. Mm -hmm. Wife, spouse, children, all of that. I said, how has that changed anything in your life? And his comment to me, which kind of took me back, was, you know, I, ju I just never thought about it. It took me back and, and, and I wanted to shake him. I wanted to just throttle him and say, how could you not think about this? How could you not reflect on the fact that your children could have been without a dad and they were all either pre-grade school or early grade school? How? Yeah, but to be fair, sometimes to get through things like that, you can't think about that kind of thing. I get that. Not in the moment, but I'm talking months and months later. I'm talking, he's now up and around, he's back doing his sports. I mean, sure. we're, we're talking some time later, not in the heat of the moment, of course not. You know, and, and I get that. But then why do you want to dwell, dwell on that if, that if you're okay now? Because the experience ought to teach us something. The experience ought to help open our eyes and our hearts to the reality, maybe of the value of family. The value of a relationship. Sure, that it, way I could understand. You know, that somehow, not that it's, you know, I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to throw everything away and live in abject poverty or live in a cave. 
but that somehow when you think about that the fact that you could have almost basically you were on the edge of death they had to shock him to bring him back that somehow the experience that it would somehow help us to appreciate more what we have Mm -hmm. and when nothing is but i think that is one of the maladies of our culture we are not a reflective people we only live in the moment Mm -hmm. and as a consequence we keep making the same mistakes because we have never learned. We have, you know, again, you look at the people that have reflected on various major things, events in their own lives or in the culture that they live or whatever, how people have changed their direction, how people have, some people have changed jobs. Mm-hmm. Some people have given up, you know, the big houses or, or all of that and saying, you know what, what's more important is this rather than how big my bank account is is that there is an invitation here and the scriptures speak of this time and time again the prophets call us to it time and time again is that you know hero israel you know the lord your god is your god you know hero israel you know follow the path that i lead you it's it's a reflective it's a reflective stance that says you need to step back and in the call, for example, Israel. I am the one that brought you out of Egypt. I am the one that set you free. I am the one that gave you your homeland. I am the one that helped you to defeat all of these things. All different calls that have been out there for people to take a serious look so that they don't keep screwing up, that they don't keep making the same mistakes. And the temptation is, <clears throat> is I don't want to think about it. Okay, because usually it's because we're afraid to think about it, and, you know, and, and some things that it demands of us. We don't want to change mm-hmm. because we're just fine in the rut we're in, thank you very much. Yet we complain about it all the time. Uh, there is that call to reflection, and particularly when it comes to a season like Advent, or another season obviously is Lent, calls us to a reflection as to what do I need to do to be better prepared? What do I need to do to grow in an understanding? What do I need to do? And and we could list all sorts of things here. Not, Not that it's necessarily going to be major. For some it might. But we all need to do that tweaking. We all need to to somehow reflect on just how God has worked in one's life. How often have we heard people say, well, I think God has forgotten me. I think God has abandoned me. And usually when a person says that, is that I will, if I hear it and I have an opportunity, I will say to them, and if I know them well, but what about this? What about that healing that you experienced? What about that new job that you got? What about that, that you know, your kids were taken care of? What about those neighbors that responded? What, we don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, oftentimes, we simply presume that God doesn't care rather than recognizing God cares more than we could possibly imagine. And God constantly does more and more and more of giving us that second, third, 
500th, 10,000th chance in order to get it right. And we, because we don't reflect, or not nearly as much as we probably need to, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, because we don't reflect, we just automatically presume God doesn't care. So Advent's a time of reflection. It can be, very much so, can be. You know, what, in some ways, when, when we are forced to wait, oftentimes it, it, it puts us into a reflective mode. I, I, again, part of it, I, I, I think about this, how many times I have been in waiting rooms for people waiting for a surgery to take place. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, these kind of moments is that people, you know, they worry, of course. Yeah. But then they reflect. I should have said this, or I had this opportunity, or I remember when they did this for me, or, and, and it's, it's a time of reflecting. Waiting, when done well, for all sorts of readings, reasons, I should say, <laughs> not readings, for all sorts of reasons, waiting can be a time of reflecting. Even when it's simple, for example, you, you listen to people sometimes in, in, in the lines in stores, and they'll talk about some memories. They'll talk, well, particularly during the holidays and such. It, it can be a, an incredibly reflective time. And then when we take people of faith, then take that next step and recognize that, that God was somehow a part of it all. Mm-hmm. So, Advent. 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 Almost <laughs> over, so reflect now while you have the chance. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know? Um, and we pray, God, that we will have other chances. But Advent really lends itself in so many ways to saying, and to realize, my, this God has been good to us. My, this God has been good to us. Yeah. All right. We are going to leave it there, finish our conversation about Advent right there. Um, the next time we'll see you, it'll be Christmas. Yes, indeed. We hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time.